Well, let's begin with prayer. Lord, thank you for this psalm. Thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, we see in scripture a, a pretty realistic acknowledgement of the things that we experience in life. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that um, you don't try to gloss things over and that your word speaks directly to where we are and what we're experiencing. And we pray, God, that even now you'd pour out your spirit on us and uh, give us an ability to trust you and to rely upon you because of what you say to us through your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to all of you who are listening online. We continue uh, in this kind of online church format as we're not able to gather in person now for the third Sunday in a row. Uh, And a special welcome to you if you're a guest or you kind of found our website um, somehow and, and you're listening to this message, we welcome you to Fifth Church and are so glad that you've been able to join us. We've kind of opted to do a service like this rather than a video live stream or something for the reason that uh, we wanted to create something that would be more engaging and participatory for you. So I hope that you've been able to use this order of worship and, um, and have a service wherever you are as a scattered church uh, to worship the Lord together with those you love. Uh, yet again, we're finding ourselves looking at a, a passage of scripture, Psalm 130, that We planned quite some time ago for a a series in Lent and uh, we're choosing not to change our series based on the current situation in our world because these psalms seemed pretty perfect uh, for this current situation. And if if you're new to the idea of Lent uh, or to the idea of following Jesus, this season of the church's life is meant to parallel the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by uh, the devil where he confronted all the big categories of temptation that are common to human beings. And we take comfort in that because we have assurance that uh, Jesus has been tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So he has experienced the things that we experience. He, he knows. He's walked in our shoes so he can relate to us and we can trust him. When Jesus was with us, he made this promise to his disciples. He said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And that that idea of Jesus being with us, Christ with us, is the heart of this series. And and we believe that the Psalms help us engage that reality, that that God is with us. And we're, we're never somewhere where God isn't. Christ is with us. And so far in this series, we've looked at several Psalms. Psalm 32, relief from guilt. Psalm 121, help in helplessness. Psalm 95, worship versus rebellion. Psalm 23, comfort in valleys. And today, of course, Psalm 130, hope in waiting. Again, kind of perfect, right? Anybody out there struggling to find hope in waiting in these days? This this psalm really offers us what I think is a roadmap for how to foster hope in difficult times of waiting. And I'd invite you to open your Bible if you haven't already or to to bring up an online version of the text and look at Psalm 130. It's divided into four sections and I believe it gives us 
uh, four kind of action items, things that we can actually do to try to foster hope in waiting. Those four are, this, are these. Acknowledge your reality. Remind yourself of the gospel. Name what you're experiencing. And direct your hope toward Jesus. So let's, let's look at those kind of point by point. First, acknowledge your reality. The psalmist says it. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. That's verse 1 in the first part of verse 2. And hard times are real. And we're in one now as a, as a church, as a community, as a country, as a world, really. And during hard times, it can feel like God is distant at best. And at worst, it can feel like God is absent it can feel like God doesn't hear us. You know, out of the depths, I cry to you. There's a kind of sacred trust in being a pastor. And a, a part of my job, I find, is listening. I'm just listening to people who are struggling. And rightly so, because we all struggle. I struggle, and I need to talk to other people about my struggles. And I find myself having conversations with people facing very challenging situations, hard times, feeling like they've leveraged every resource, used every tool, prayed till they can't pray anymore, and nothing is working. They don't just feel like they're at the end of their rope. They are at the end of their rope. They've tried everything they know to try. And from a human perspective, there's nothing left to try. The toolbox is empty, and the problem isn't fixed. And we stand face to face with this reality that we are not in control. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. You've probably had a season like this in your life. Or, or maybe this current crisis is that for you. you know, the, or the, the biggest experience of that for you in, in your life to date. Uh, my wife and I have wondered a little bit about the generational differences in how we're experiencing this coronavirus crisis. It is without a doubt a crisis for everyone. And we've talked a little bit about how every generation has its first experience of a big world-changing event like this. Everybody knows that, you know, in life stuff happens. But I think we all learn by experience at some time or another that uh, not only does stuff happen in life, but big stuff happens in life. Things that change your view of the world. I mean, there aren't many of us these days who remember personally the events of World War II, but there are some. For some, it might have been the Korean or Vietnam War. Some of us in our country remember where we were when President Kennedy was assassinated. For me, the big one was 9-11. I was 30 when that happened. Some of us might have experienced the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami in that way. While it didn't impact us personally, we, we felt that 230,000 people dead 
not over a period of months, but in just a few hours. Big stuff happens. And we cry out, out of the depths, Lord, we cry to you. And, and it can feel like God does not hear us. I mean, why else would the psalmist ask God to, quote, hear my voice? Please, God, hear my voice. Are you there? Is anybody home up there? And that's the feeling we can so easily experience. And, and because of that, in times like this, we need to be alert to spiritual opposition. Because often that feeling of God's distance or absence is accompanied by a thought or, or maybe even a voice in your internal dialogue. God doesn't hear you. If he actually cared, he'd do something. Maybe he just can't hear you. Or, or maybe he can and is just letting you suffer. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul talks a little bit about forgiveness and concludes with this line. We do this in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And there, there's a lot of spiritual scheming that happens in hard times. Spiritual opposition takes the primary forms of accusation, deception, and temptation. Let me say that again. Spiritual opposition takes the primary forms of accusation, meaning lines being fed to you about how you're not worth anything or not measuring up. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction, not condemnation. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, not our accuser. Spiritual opposition also takes the form of deception, just flat out lies about God and what's going on in the world. And spiritual opposition takes the form of temptation. Uh, that, that invitation to rely on something or someone other than God to give us the, the comfort or the reassurance or whatever it is that we feel we need. Hard times are real. And the first step is to acknowledge that reality. Acknowledge your reality. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, I'm, I'm in a deep, dark place. But what's step number two? That comes in verses three and four in the psalm. Remind yourself of the gospel. Here's the text. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. God does not keep a record of our sins. Instead, he forgives. You know, so if, if God isn't viewing you through the lens of your failures, why should you? You know, largely the weekly sermon in, in every church is just a way to remind ourselves of the gospel. Yeah, we focus on a particular part of the Bible. We, we preach a text and maybe we learn something new. Maybe there's some kind of tidbit that feels extraordinary to us. Maybe not. Probably not, actually. Because the much larger point is, 
is just that we all need to remind ourselves of the gospel regularly. In that sense, what goes on in every church with the preaching of the word really doesn't need to be new and fresh. It just needs to be faithful and point us back to what God has already said to us and done for us. We need to remember actively that the gospel is the truest truth around. That what's really going on in the world is that this place is broken and God's trying to renew it and and rebuild it and make all things new and that God has invited us to work with him in that project and is inviting all people everywhere back into a renewed and completely fresh relationship with him in Jesus. Reminding yourself of the gospel is a spiritual discipline and it is particularly important when we feel stuck in a hard time. So steps for fostering hope in waiting. Acknowledge your reality. Remind yourself of the gospel. And step three, name what you're experiencing. I don't know if you know the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. My mom gave me a copy of that book at college graduation. And, and I didn't know it then, but I read it and and learned that even Dr. Seuss acknowledges the reality of hard times in our lives by saying that sometimes we find ourselves in the waiting place. The waiting place. That page in the book is, is kind of dark. The illustration is dark. And it conveys this sense of uncertainty. Life includes waiting places. In times that are dark and feel uncertain. This is real. It happens to all of us. So, by the way, don't feel unique if this is happening to you. Everybody experiences this. Before becoming a pastor, I didn't know that there's a stark difference among the waiting rooms at a hospital. I I don't mean the way the, the room is decorated or something. I mean the feel of the different waiting rooms around a hospital. I learned this lesson in my visits to the eighth floor of the John Stoddard Cancer Center at the Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines, Iowa. I mean, being admitted to the Stoddard Center wasn't good. I mean, it meant you were dealing with some form of cancer to the degree that you needed to be hospitalized for it. But being in a room on the eighth floor was by far the worst. I didn't know many patients who occupied a room on the eighth floor, but I can say that I never knew a person who occupied a room on the eighth floor who went home, at least in the human sense. They all died to this life. As I recall, you get off the elevator and turn a right toward the patient rooms, and the first room on the left is the waiting room. What you saw there was hard. Blank faces, tears, shock, disbelief, denial, grief. It was all right there 
on the eighth floor. The waiting place. Verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And waiting in hard times is rough. It's an emotional and spiritual marathon. And, and being a marathon runner, I know that when you're running a marathon, you feel like quitting. It's hard. It's a discipline to keep going. I mean, waiting in hard times is rough. Your whole being is involved. You wait more than watchmen wait for the morning. I mean, as a watchman, when you drew the graveyard shift, you were bummed. Because that, that was really hard. Nighttime is dark. It's work to stay awake and alert. You wait for the morning, desperately wanting a new day, a fresh dawn, light instead of darkness. And you know that nighttime is dangerous. It's when the sneak attacks happen. And remember, spiritual opposition again. The enemy tries to sneak attack when it's, when it's dark, feels dark and uncertain. And, and just so you know, on the spiritual front, the devil is quite unoriginal. The sneak attack will take some uh, shape, some version of that original lie that was told to Adam and Eve in the garden. God doesn't really care for you, does he? If God loved you, he would do this or that. It's a lie about God's character. And that's what the devil leads with almost every time. So acknowledge your reality. Remind yourself of the gospel. Name what you're experiencing. You're in the waiting place. But what is a Christian to do in the waiting place? And that's the last section of the psalm. What do we do? What can we do? Verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And that's what we can do. Acknowledge your reality, remind yourself of the gospel, name what you're experiencing, and direct your hope toward Jesus. Often the hard times of waiting can feel hopeless, and we don't know how to get our hope back. But as a follower of Jesus, you don't do anything to get hope You've received it as a gift because of what Jesus has done for us if you're a Christian. In this sense, there's a stark difference between having hope and feeling hopeful. Just because you don't feel hopeful does not mean that you don't have hope. As a follower of Jesus, you have hope because Jesus gave it to you. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Our hope is based on what Jesus has already done for us. Thus, our hope is not wobbly and questionable, but firm and and secure. And more than that, says 
that text from Hebrews, our hope enters the inner sanctuary. That is, the holy of holies in the temple, the place of God's presence. When a person trusts Jesus for the first time, they receive the Holy Spirit, says the Bible. And and the scripture also tells us that we need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We receive the Holy Spirit once and we need to go on being filled. Much like that, when a person trusts Jesus, they receive a new hope. And the scripture tells us that we need to go on putting our hope in the Lord. We need to direct our hope toward Jesus. So in this sense, hope is what we have and hope is what we do. You know, the active part of hope, hoping, if you will, is what's so important in the time of waiting. When we put our hope in the Lord, that hope carries us into God's presence. And we realize that Christ is with us in the waiting place, in the hard place. In fact, in every place, all the time. You see, when you remind yourself of the gospel, you remind yourself that you have great hope. And then you put your hope in the Lord. And when you do that, you're reminded of the gospel. And when you're reminded of the gospel, you're reminded that you have hope. And that prompts you to put your hope in the Lord, which reminds you of the gospel. I mean, you you see it. It's a kind of spiritual renewal cycle. And we just kind of keep the wheels spinning by reminding ourselves of the gospel and putting our hope in Jesus. Our hard times of waiting can be marked by either hopeless resignation or hopeful waiting with the awareness that Christ is with us. And I think the psalm directs us to find hope in waiting by doing these things. Acknowledge your reality. Remind yourself of the gospel. Name what you're experiencing. And direct your hope toward Jesus. Maybe we could all try that this week. And please know, if you're not feeling hopeful, that's okay. If you're feeling alone, we'd love to connect. Our ministry staff and pastoral elders are here for you. And, and Fifth Church is a great church. I think that we're here for one another. So let's call each other. One of the very unique things about this time is that when you call somebody, they answer their phone. So let's pick up the phone and call one another. Even if you don't know someone, introduce yourself. Ask if they have any need. We're working hard on on pairing needs in our congregation with those who'd like to help. And uh, some of our our more senior members have uh, asked maybe for some help getting groceries and some, some younger families. And people have said, hey, we'd love to help with that. We'd love to pair more of that up if you have a need. So if you have a need, call. Please call us. Call me. I'd love to talk. You're not alone. Your church is here for you. Let's find ways to connect. And now since we're doing this online and I can't give you the benediction in person at the end of the service, let me speak it over you now from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. 
May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you have given us a hope that supersedes our circumstances. You've given us a hope that is not based on anything that we've done or what we're able to do. Uh, We are small and powerless and not in control at all. We acknowledge that before you. And we thank you that you are large and powerful and very much in control. And we choose now in this moment to direct our hope toward you, Jesus. We place our hope in you and acknowledge before you and all people that there's really no other place to direct our hope, no other person in whom we can so trust. So Jesus, help us in this time, pour out your spirit on us as a church, on our community and country and world. We need your healing. Speak a heavenly cease and desist order to this virus. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.